0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. I want to prepare our hearts and get us ready to hear from God's Word here in just a minute. But I want to welcome you again and remind you this is what we call Neighbors and Nations Week. Uh, It's a week of focus in the life of our church. It's a week to remind us of the reality that we're people on mission. Every one of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've all been assigned a mission. Right here among our neighbors and to the nations of the earth And we've got a friend here with us this morning who's going to remind us of that mission from God's Word. I want to introduce Zach Thurman to you. Uh, He's not uh, new to a lot of you, a real friend uh, of our church. He pastors Overland Church in Colorado. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But would you guys just welcome Zach here with us this morning. And glad to be here. Yeah, he just got off a plane late last night, so we're praying for his energy this morning. But, man, we're honored that he's here. And let me just let you know something really quick about Zach and about his church. Uh, TCBC Overland Church, when you think about churches that partner together, are real partners in the gospel, uh, Zach and his church are a real example of that to our church. Uh, In so many ways, we partner together. You enjoy and you're blessed by what we have here called the FDP Family Discipleship Plan. Uh, His wife, Jennifer, was a co-author of that Has spent hours and hours and hours investing in our church through the FTP. We are deeply grateful for that. Uh, Last weekend, their church, Overland, sent out their first church planning team to Durango, Colorado. Our churches are going to be partnering together in that to advance the gospel through church planning. This is a dear friend, loves Jesus, loves the church, loves the Word of God. Has really modeled how to reach his city there in Fort Collins through serving, but most of all, gospel proclamation. So we are honored he's here. I want you to. Ask, I want to ask you to join me. We're going to pray for Zach. We'll pray for our time this morning. Pray that we'll be prepared to hear from God's word. So join join me. Uh, let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the gathering of the saints today that we get to be a part of. It's a gift. God, I thank you for friends and partners like Zach and Jennifer and Overland Church. And uh, Lord, it's worth giving our life to this great commission that you've called us to be a part of. And God, I pray this morning, we trust, we know that your word is living and active. Uh, it is sharper than any two edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And God, I pray that you'll prepare us this morning to hear, not just from a man, but from the word of a living God this morning. Give us ears to hear, call us to action, and may we leave changed. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.
1: Man, amen. I, I just want to start out this morning by expressing my gratitude for Tri-Cities. Um... As a church plant, you guys have loved us deeply. And you have just cared for us. And no doubt in prayer. Harriet's sitting right back there. She's my prayer warrior. I mean, she prays for us and keeps up with our church. You guys have sent us teams. Um I was thinking thinking back, I, I saw your 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 Right here, a building guy cave in, and made, I, he just, he made quick work, He'd like two days at our church did what it would have taken some of our, at the time, college students like never to be done. You know, like there's no way they could have done what he did, and multiple, I think this this year will be year three of uh, sending summer teams, I could be wrong, that could be four, I get it wrong in my head. Gail and, and Jean, notice I put Gail first, cave uh, last summer and spent, like, uh, Five, six weeks with us and man just encouraged our family loved on our family loved on our church I see uh interns I see that that came last summer there's jo- Joseph and Lydia back there I heard like you guys are getting married something like that you know that's pretty sweet and I, I hadn't spotted uh anybody else yet but man uh you guys have loved us you've cared for us you've sent your fingerprints are all over our church because we use the FDP. um That came out of here, so much of that is structured the way that our church. When I have problems, do you know what I do? I call Daniel. Anybody else call Daniel when they have problems? Um, Daniel and I have kind of figured this thing out over the years. If we call each other when we have problems, one person just has to listen. The other person just has to talk. And by the end of it, we get it worked out. And man, Daniel is such a huge blessing to me. And so, man, I just want to say thank you to Tri-Cities. The, the Lord is doing a great work at Overland Church, and we really feel, uh, we're, we're in a season where we really feel the favor of the Lord. Um, we're, we're seeing people come to faith, and we're seeing people come to faith from all walks of life. And uh, recently we've, we've baptized husbands and wives together. We've baptized children, but man, we're, we've also baptized people from hard places and people who are far from Christ we're seeing college students who are giving up the party life giving up the the things they've been chasing in the world to follow Christ we're seeing God bring people in through our people living on mission serving the neighbors and the nations we're seeing the vulnerable come into our church we're seeing people who who don't speak English as a first language come into our church Last week I looked out in the congregation and on one side I looked and I saw this guy who recently came to faith, who had an active warrant out for his arrest and was going to turn himself in the very next morning. And on the other side I saw a cop (laughs) and I thought, I'm glad he doesn't know who that is or we'd have a scene right here in the middle of church. I mean, the Lord is working. This morning at our church we're going to baptize um, a couple of folks and it will break our single year record for baptisms and that will happen the first sunday in april this year so the lord is moving and working in our church and so we're excited i want you to know that you have uh, a part in that as your church has invested in our church and continues to invest in our church you guys are sending interns to us uh, four interns this summer and a mission team and so we're just super thankful when, when your mission team was there last summer, uh, we had a major construction part, uh, project going on. We were adding about 30 parking spaces, uh, which essentially not quite doubles our parking lot, but about doubles the size of our parking lot. I want you to know, last Sunday, every parking spot was full, and there were about 21 or 22 vehicles parked in the mud. And so, man, the Lord, the Lord is moving and working in our church. Uh, a few weeks ago, I showed up to church, and I, I pull in the parking lot, and um, I was running a little behind, I was running a little behind, and so there was already a decent amount of folks there, and in in the front parking lot, Buddy Sampson, who's going to plant in Durango, was standing there talking to a guy who's holding a bicycle, and it was apparent to me that uh, the the person that he was talking to was uh, a homeless person, a transient. That's uh, kind of what, what people kind of move through Fort Fort Collins, and it was pretty apparent that he was high as a kite, just just pulling in. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's see what this is about. And I get out of my truck. I, I try to be a good pastor and park at the farthest away. And I walk in over. And when I do, the guy gets on his bike. Uh, the conversation had ended. And he takes off riding his bike. He's riding, and he rides right out in the middle of the main road and almost gets hit by a car. They swerve and they honk, and he just kind of scurries off. And I walk up to Buddy and I goes, what, what, what was that about? And he said, uh, well, um, he told me his name, and he said, um, he was high. He had smoked meth last night and had been drinking, and so he was, meth... Um, and high. What that means for us uh, in, in, our, in our context, man, uh, methamphetamines are, are a, a, a bad deal. There's a lot of a lot of lot homeless people using methamphetamines, but they're also using fentanyl, and fentanyl's on the streets. It's super easy to get where we are. It's two dollars a pill, and so those two things are going hand in hand, but, but that causes some pretty major issues, and as this guy comes and I was like well what did what did he want it was obvious I mean it was obvious that he he should not be riding a bike by the way I just recommend if don't ride bikes and do meth it's not a good thing I said what did he want and uh, buddy said um, he wanted to come to church well why did he leave if he wanted to come to church and he said well he got nervous. He said he was kind of twitching a little bit. He was tweaking. and He got nervous that he couldn't sit still during the service. And I said, well, what would you tell him? But he said, well, I told him he should come in. He should come. It'll be okay. You can, if you can't, like, I'll sit with you. I'll be here. I'll, I'll sit right beside you. It'll be okay. But the, the man goes, I can't. I can't. I, I can't. I'll get looked down on. People judge me. I, I don't have any business at church. I'm, I'm a mess. My life is a mess. I'm doing this mess. It's got a hold of me. I want to quit, but I, I can't stop. And Buddy just begged him. Buddy said, listen, it's not too late. Come to Christ. He shares the gospel with him. He says, Come in. Just come sit down. The guy goes, No, man. I can't. I just can't. And so he gets in on his bike and he leaves. Buddy gave him his number. Buddy pleaded with him. Buddy begged him. But you know the guy was probably right. If he'd have come to our church that morning, the Lord's moving and working our church. The Lord, man, I have as much faith in our people and their, their um, desire to live missionally, their desire to see the vulnerable come to Christ, those their desire to see the people who are farthest to come to Christ come to Christ. They, they our, our people are there. But you tell me. There was somebody high and strung out on meth this morning sitting on the front row. How would that make you feel? It's one thing to go serve them in their space to meet them in their place. It's one thing to, to go and serve the vulnerable. But it's another thing to bring them in the building, isn't it? And I gotta tell you when he said, they'll judge me, I think most every Southern Baptist church in the United States he was right about. Had he been sitting on the front, people would have gripped their kids a little tighter. They'd have worried about, hey, what, what, who is this guy? What, what is he doing? And, hey, he's high on methamphetamines. There's some reason to worry, isn't there? To many people in churches across America... A guy coming in on Sunday morning like that, hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ would be scandalous. It'd be scandalous. Here's the big truth that I want you to take away this morning. Is that the scandal... Of God's grace is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is scandalous, my friends. I'm going to invite you this morning to open up to the book of Luke. Chapter 4. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Luke chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus by Satan and one of the main things that we learn in that passage is that Jesus didn't just come to to fight a physical battle, he didn't come to to deliver Jerusalem from uh, Roman oppression, but that he came to fight a spiritual battle against Satan and his demons. So this is the start of his ministry. If you would, start reading with me at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. As we begin to break through, walk through this text today, here's the first thing that I want to show you. Here's the first big idea is that Jesus glorified God by proclaiming his word. We look at the start of Jesus's ministry. It is one of proclamation. He came to glorify God. If you look at verse 15, it says, "And he taught in their synagogues." Now, synagogue was somewhat of a temple outpost. In order for there to be a synagogue, there had to be 10 Jewish men uh, those ten Jewish men would start that synagogue. This is not something we even see in the Old Testament. This is New Testament. Synagogue, even in itself, is a, is a, a Greek word, a New Testament idea. But these are these outposts. And, and we see that it was his custom. Jesus' custom in his life. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And, and we follow Jesus as we come to the the church on the Lord's day. He modeled that for us. As he did that, it shows that he was being glorified by all. They they were hearing him preach. And guess what? Jesus could preach. Imagine that. Um, Jesus could preach. They liked what he was saying. People wanted to come hear what he was saying. And what he was saying... We can can see this in multiple places in Scripture, but if you just go to John 17, you'll see that what he was seeking out to do was glorify God. He was seeking to bring God's Word, to bring glory to God. And so Jesus' ministry was, was one of proclamation. They were glorifying Him, and by glorifying Him, they were glorifying God. You know how we glorify God? One of the main ways that we glorify God is by proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is what he modeled for us and this is what he did. But then watch what happens. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolls it. He steps up in his, this is his home synagogue. This is where he grew up. And he would have been familiar. They probably didn't have every scroll in the Old Testament. I'm sure they probably had the Torah and a few others. But obviously this was his home synagogue. And this is probably not the first time that he had read from Isaiah. And so he takes this scroll and he enrolls this scroll. Remember, their scrolls aren't like our, our Bible. It's not like they had pages. They didn't have uh books and uh, chapter numbers and verses the same way that we do. So it's one book and they unroll it and he unrolls it. Isaiah a long book. And he gets to chapter 61, what we would call it. It was just where he was in the scroll that morning. He unrolls the scroll and he founds the place and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to pray, proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's the second thing I want you to see Jesus glorified God by serving the vulnerable. John 17, I mentioned earlier, it says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so what we see is that Jesus' Jesus's work was one of proclamation, but it was also one of service. We see in the Scriptures that Jesus didn't just come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a, as a ransom for many. We're gonna see starting right here, the very next thing that Jesus does is, is a healing, is a a miracle. We're gonna see that that Luke, the physician, he's gonna account the 16 different times, and not just 16 different people, but the 16 different times where Jesus served and healed the vulnerable. Jesus did did, did both. He proclaimed the gospel. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and he did ministries of mercy. So so often we, as as followers of Christ, fall into one or two two camps, and we do one or we do the other. We're like really good at proclaiming truth or telling truth or telling it how it is or whatever we think we're telling. Or we do a pretty good job of, of serving the vulnerable and try to help them without telling them the truth. This this wasn't Jesus' model. This is what Jesus did. Jesus came and he proclaimed God's word. He glorified God, but he also said, I am coming because God has anointed me to, to proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captives. To help the blind to see. And for those people in that crowd that day and the crowds that would follow every synagogue that he enters, enters after that they have a problem with him it's scandalous to them ministries of mercy are often scandalous to the self righteous they couldn't believe that Jesus would go and touch a leper Matter of fact, when lepers would come, lepers had to yell by, by their law, unclean, unclean, unclean. They had to present to themselves, hey, we're carrying this fleshly disease. We've got these issues. And, and they, would, they would keep them away. But what would Jesus do? But go and say, come here. And the very ones that they said unclean, unclean, unclean. Jesus touched. Jesus healed. It wouldn't just be the lepers. It would be the paralytic. It would be the ones who couldn't walk. It would be the blind. It would be multiple problems. But it would also be the sinners, the outcasts, the tax collectors. A little later, the next chapter in Luke. They're, they're bickering over this, the self-righteous, the, 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 the Pharisees of the day, they're bickering over it. And Jesus says, answers them, and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not called the righteous, but sinners, sinners to repentance. I mentioned that Jesus didn't just come to fight a, a physical battle. He didn't just come to heal people from their physical needs. That he came to fight a spiritual battle. In Luke chapter 5 there when, when, he, when he says that to them. He's saying to a, 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 a lame man, get up and walk. He's healing them and saying, no, there's a bigger thing to be healed. Not come to call the righteous but sinners to Repentance. And so as we look at Jesus' ministry, we have to to put these two things in balance. can we just proclaim the truth? Can we just proclaim the gospel? Or do we have to serve the vulnerable? And, and, And the truth is, it's both. And you can't truly serve the vulnerable without proclaiming the gospel. And if you think you can just proclaim the gospel without serving the vulnerable, serving your neighbors and serving the nations, then you've missed the point of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to just merely make the world a better place to go to hell from. And neither should we. As we seek to love our neighbors, the nations, as we seek... To learn to serve the the vulnerable, to, to help them in their life, we must proclaim the gospel to them. We must see them come to faith. And as they come to faith, we must disciple them, raising them up, and that will impact the social injustices in the world. That will impact poverty in the world. That will impact suffering and sickness. We must serve those in our community who are at need, uh, who, who have risk, who are in need. We, we must look into our community and go, who are the vulnerable? Who are the people who we need to proclaim this good news to? These are the people that Jesus would have gone to. We must identify them. We must love them. And we must not just love them and serve them and keep them away from us. But we must do as Jesus did and bring them into the fold. Our church should look like our community. Our church should look like the people around us. And so when the vulnerable around us must be welcomed into the fold, The, the, the good news of the gospel proclaimed to them. Yes, we must meet social needs. Yes, we must meet physical needs. But most importantly, we must proclaim the good news of the gospel and we must serve their eternal needs. Now, I want you to see this today in this text. My next big idea is that Jesus came to save us from our spiritual condition. We read that, that text. There's, there's a line in the, the very end of it there. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That last phrase, the year of the Lord's favor. What it does is it recalls this jubilee legislation. It goes back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. What you're going to find in the Bible is that the Bible takes care of the poor. There are all sorts of things in the Old Testament that were set up to care for the widow, the orphan, the hungry, the poor. It's, it's full of those things. Leviticus chapter 25 In verse 10 it says this, it says, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Now, land in ancient Israel was not bought and sold the way that it is today in our modern society or many modern societies. We think of deed and that deed being passed down but but a piece of property worked more on on that of a that that on the basis of a lease and so the idea and how it should have been set up was this piece of property was meant to stay with this extended family's possession throughout its generations but when an israelite would have fallen on hard times they could have sold that piece of land but on the 50th year um at the jubilee year jubilee year, that all debts would have been released. And so let's say it's the 40th year and you buy this piece of land. You know you have it for 10 years. And so you would buy according to, to that. That's how God set it up. In some ways this was, this was uh, a debt forgiveness. Now all the millennials in the room, your ears just poked, uh, perked up and you said, oh, tell me more. Um debt forgiveness? I can get rid of my college loan forgiveness? What what is this that you're talking about? Uh, no, it wasn't quite quite made like that. Um it was a it was a chance, yes, for, for them to gain a, a fresh start, to get back their home life. But the, the purpose of this was was different. It was not re- merely to release the poor from their financial problems. The purpose was also to restore the poor their ability to to be economically productive. It was the ability to give them back land to produce on. Now here's the problem. This was, this was said, this is what this is supposed to be in Scripture. In God's creation order, in God's creation plan, on the seventh day, we rest, Right? The Lord, Lord, Lord made the earth in six days and on the seventh day we rest. Pretty sure you, you guys just talked about Sabbath recently. So you understand that principle. Well, every seven years, the Israelites were supposed to let the ground rest. They were supposed to, to, to stock up to store things in their houses so that on the seventh year they didn't have to plant crops and the ground could rest. The ground could be restored. And so, this is yet, again, 7 times 7 is 49 on the 50th year. This was supposed to be the year of Jubilee, this year of freedom, this year to be done, this year of restoration. And God designed it this way. It was a beautiful design, but guess what never happened? As far as we know in Scripture, as far as Scripture tells us, many scholars think the year of Jubilee never happened. The very thing that it was designed to be, didn't happen so Jesus is coming and he's he's saying he's portraying this liberating work in terms of the jubilee year he's saying that what I am doing is bringing this year I am coming to release the oppressed from their debts I'm coming to set the captive free is glorious in itself this isn't just a freedom that comes from having having your land given back to you what jesus is doing he's coming and giving giving you your life back to you that the wages of sin is death and rather than than having this this year this life of oppression he's bringing freedom We're cleared of our debts in order that we may be truly productive, bearing the fruit of a changed heart. If we were to open up the text that that Jesus preached from in the book of Isaiah, and we were to go back to it, I want you to listen what Jesus didn't say. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. So when Jesus quoted this scripture, did he misquote it? I don't believe he did. I, I think what he's putting forth is a, a mystery. This is like us, this is a mystery to the book of Isaiah. This would have been, uh, I mean, to, to the author of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah. It would have been a mystery to John the Baptist. It would have been a mystery to scholars. But Jesus is coming, and it's like for us watching a two-part movie. Or a movie with a sequel. Have you read the book of Revelation. We're waiting on the return of Christ, which will be good for believers, but but very bad for those who had rejected him. It's the vengeance of our God. And so Jesus' earthly time, his time on earth till today, is the year of Jubilee. Jesus' earthly ministry was a ministry of mercy. And so therefore, friend, we get to live in the day of the Lord. Christians, if if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you are living in the year of Jubilee. And so it says this, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And so here's my next big idea. We reject the truth of Jesus when we don't like what he says. And so they liked what he says. They were speaking favorably about Jesus. They 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 were saying, "Hey, we were this this guy's awesome." They were glorifying him. But all of a sudden, as he begins preaching, you're going to see this turn. And they're like, "Wait a second! Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we remember that little boy? Now I don't ever remember him doing anything wrong, but..." Man, his mother, Mary, his father, so-called father Joseph, this uh, kind of strange thing that happened over there. And man, have you met his siblings? James and Jude, they're punks. And his sisters, man, they're they're crazy. That's just that's just Jesus. We don't like what he's saying. Can I tell you, we still use that tactic. We still turn when we get to something in the Bible that we don't like, we quickly turn it or turn it around and turn it off. Have you guys heard of the deconstruction movement? All these people today who are, they've called it this deconstruction movement, deconstructing our faith and walking away from our faith. One, that's nothing new. And two, let me break it down for you. They've come to something they don't like in Scripture. And And it typically comes at a part of a sin where they're in a sin or committing a sin. And they want to justify that sin. But the Bible says that sin is wrong. So they go that's just Jesus, he was a good philosopher a good, uh, a good prophet but it's not like he was God that's the deconstruction movement, that's what we do we reject the truth of Jesus when we don't like what he says this is, he gets them right here, listen to this, but in the truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And so here's my next big idea is that Jesus' grace is scandalous to those who don't think they need it. Notice this. When he, when he goes back to the Old Testament, he talks about Elijah and the widow. They were, the widow was out of food. They were out of oil. They they had no way to go for There's a great famine. And who does he go to but a Gentile lady? This wasn't wasn't an Israelite. This was a Gentile. And he goes to her and he says, woman, give me your biscuit. And she's like, what do I got to lose? I'm going to die anyway. And she gives it to him. And guess what the Lord did? He kept her flour and her oil from ever running out. And then he mentions Naaman, this Syrian prince who comes, who has leprosy. And and, and here Elisha says to him, hey, go wash in the water seven times. And the the prince looks at the water and goes, that water's gross. That's nasty. Where I came from, we've got these pure, beautiful rivers. I'm just going to go back home and wash in that. He was offended that Elisha didn't just lie down and and, and bow down because this is a prince and his buddies basically talked him out of it and says dude you need to drop your pride and you need to do what this guy says and so he drops his pride and he's obedient he realizes you know what this is my one shot I'm going to take it and he goes and he does what Elisha says and he is healed. And when he tells these two stories of these two Gentiles being healed, the Jewish people who heard him wanted to kill him. It became scandalous to them that these people, that he would tell these stories. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus died to save those who wanted to, ki- who wanted to kill him. They did not like what he said. And so when he says this to them, they rebel. This, one, this, this man that they were speaking favor- favorably of, they all of a sudden turned on because they didn't like the, the scandalous news of the gospel. They, did, they didn't like this. They rejected it. And so they thought, hey, we're going to kill him. We're going to take him. We're going to throw them off this cliff. But man, it wasn't Jesus' time to die for them yet. And so he slips off. This morning as we we look in this text, I want you to realize something. That there are only two types of people. There are those who are self-righteous and fail to see their spiritual condition. They're they're like the the Jewish folks that, that when they see that Jesus says... I came to proclaim the good news of the poor. They're going, I'm not poor. I, I came to recover sight of the blind. I'm not blind. I came to deliver the oppressed. Yes, the Roman government is oppressing us. How can we, how can we overthrow them? They fail to see it. Their self-righteousness, they, they look at it. They don't see their true spiritual condition. They don't see their true need. And then there are those who see their spiritual condition. They realize that they are the poor. Jesus says, just in the, the uh, chapter six, "Blessed are the poor in spirit. Woe to those who are rich." They see that they're poor. They see that they have a spiritual need that they cannot fill. They realize that that those who would who would come, those who. Would say, I am poor, I am blind, I am oppressed, I need a Savior. And this is the good news of the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we hated Him, while we were in rebellion to Him, while we blamed God for our problems, while we thought too highly of ourselves, no matter what we thought, that we realize we come to a place of poverty to see that we cannot save ourselves. And so then we recognize that this Jesus, this little boy from Nazareth, know that he really was God. That, That his earthly ministry, as we see it start here, as we see him heal, we see him serve the vulnerable, we see him Proclaim the gospel. We see him do these three years of earthly ministry. Miracle after miracle after miracle. All proving that he was with God culminating on the cross. Where he who was sinless, the one who knew no sin, the one who had never sinned. Went to the cross willingly and died willingly. That you and I, unable to save ourselves, may be saved. That Jesus was hung on the cross, that he was crucified on the cross, and that he died on the cross. That Jesus was put in the grave. And the thing that proved he was God was that on the third day he rose again. And so the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, you will be saved. And so today I tell you, realize, turn from self-righteousness to realizing that we are, we need, we are. It is by the grace of God that we're not in a vulnerable position and that we are poor in spirit and we need to be saved. Two types of people, the self-righteous and those who, who understand the grace by which God saved them. And so now there's two responses. You can either live a self righteous life only worrying about you and, and, and getting yours and doing your things and accomplishing your task and building your little cardboard kingdom on this planet, or you can live a life submitted to the Lord Jesus where you're committed to be obedient. To the Lord Jesus, to proclaiming the good news and serving those who need it, serving the vulnerable. And there there ought to be a heart position when we serve the vulnerable, when we do the things that Jesus did, when we take the good news of the gospel... to, to those around us. When we take the good news to the gospel to the poor in our community. We shouldn't go and, and look down on the drug addict. Look down on the poor. Look, look down on the person in need. We should realize that we are just like them. And so as we serve, we should serve this way. Realizing that we're just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that it would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path and we would live by it. And Lord, that we would have a commitment to proclaiming the good news of the gospel to our neighbors all the way to the nations and everybody in between. And Lord, that we would serve the vulnerable. That we would love the vulnerable. That... We would would get our lives entangled with the vulnerable, in the mess of sin, in the mess of shame, in in the mess of everything that comes with it, that we would be okay with the messiness because we realize that, that your blood covers our sin. We realize that our lives apart from you would be a disaster. So Lord move and work in our hearts this morning. Lord, for those in the room who, who've never placed their faith and trust in you, may this morning, may they realize they need the year of Jubilee. They need the year of the Lord's favor. And they may, may they believe in you and experience your favor this morning in forgiveness of their sins and the pardon of their punishment. Lord, may we look at you today and see you as the minister of mercy. And may we follow you in everything you lead us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.